0: Hello and welcome to episode number 195 of the Make It British podcast. For this interview, I went to visit Andy Ogden at the cotton spinning mill English Fine Cottons. You'll hear why Andy and his business partners decided to bring cotton spinning back to the UK, closing one of the broken loops in the UK's fragmented textile supply chain. Enjoy this interview from the Archive. And three years ago, Andy and two of his colleagues, Brendan McCormack and Stephen Shaughnessy, set up the UK's only commercial cotton spinning mill after an absence of several decades of cotton spinning in the UK. They're based on the outskirts of Greater Manchester, which you'll probably know is home of cotton spinning and also where the Industrial Revolution began. How did this all come about? Well, English Fine Cotton's actually have a parent company called Colour Meter Safeguard who have been spinning technical fibres for over 20 years using an original cotton spinning frame. So they knew quite a bit about spinning before they embarked on their very ambitious multi-million pound project which is what Andy's going to be talking about today. Now, this episode was recorded in Tower Mill, the home of English Vine Cottons, in Duncanfield, Greater Manchester. And Andy gave me a fantastic tour around the mill. And although we did record the interview in a quiet room away from the spinning, you can still hear the faint hum of the spinning frames in the background. But before we get on to the interview, here's a little part of my tour around the mill when Andy explains some of the technology that goes into the ultra-advanced way that English fine cottons are spinning their yarn. All right, so it's 36
1: air changes an hour in our spinning room. So the temperature's kept at a consistent level. The, re- the humidity is kept at the sa- same level. So the air is changed to take out any fibre from the air, clean the fibre, bring in fresh air if it's needed, bring in cooling air if it's needed, to keep this level, humidity, to keep the spinning at uh, uh, the most optimum performance. Whoa, I'm that it's hot in there, isn't it? So
0: it's 28,
1: 28 degrees and 52% humidity
0: now. Yeah, it's mad.
1: And I've got to say, I'm glad that you haven't broken the duct. So it's been three years now, and every time, or two, over two years now, and every time I take somebody in there, Without me saying
0: it, they go, wow. Thank you for my little tour around the mill, Andy. No problem. Really quite, very... Well, Good quite to welcome special... you after three years. I know. Well, last time I came, it was a building site.
1: Yeah, it was a shell. Yeah, uh, I think we'd made one one room that was, is now the canteen just to show all of our new employees what, what the... Uh, renovated building was going to look like right. and now we're in full production 24 7.
0: I know it's amazing and you've still got what 50% of the space you could still go into?
1: Yeah and on our spinning floor uh, 50% of the area so we can double our capacity on on the areas that that, that we've now populated and we've still got one whole floor that we're looking to um, really expand into whether that be expanding into fabrics or whether it be in in, in, into some other textile ventures.
0: And We'll come on to that in a bit. Shall we wind back? Wind back, very good. Very. Yeah, let's wind back to when you came to my event, because, of course, I'm going to mention that. Yeah. Made in Britain starts here. Absolutely. Started at Meet the Manufacturer in 2015, didn't
1: it? It, it did, along with a few gins. Uh, <laughs> uh, did and, you want to give me. a summary
0: of the story? How did English Fine cottons come about?
1: So a, a little before um, coming down to see... The the crusade that you've set up I suppose is that we are as a part of our larger technical textiles business, the last short staple spinner of yarn in the UK so what that basically means is that we take short staple materials and spin them into yarn and in this case we make high performance safety yarn that goes into safety gloves and personal protective equipment Um, and as a part of that we realised that we needed to invest in that business, we've got 65, 70 dedicated staff in that that area that, that are doing a fantastic job. And we really need to give them sustainability and, and, and a future to look forward to. We needed to invest in equipment. We needed to invest in the future. And one of our other uh, textile technologists, an 80-year-old gentleman actually, came to us and said, you know, I've got an idea that you know Barbados and Sea Island cotton um, isn't really being utilised and Barbados want to increase the crop and, the, and and it really is the cream, this. I mean, you, we're selling shirts at £400, £500 pounds for a shirt of Sea Island cotton. So, so we, we, we looked into it, and it seemed that, that on the premium end of the luxury market, quality was needed uh, and, and truthful transparency and honesty of the supply chain was needed. So we said, well, we've got the capability. We've got a new mill. We seem to have some financial backing from our local authorities, uh, every, every part was in, in in place, but is this is this change about UK manufacture really going to happen? Are there people that believe it, or is it just a nice thing to say over a middle class dinner table so, so, somewhere? Um, so myself, uh, but more importantly, uh, our two UK based investors, Steve and Brendan, uh, came down to. Well, it was meet the manufacturer at the it's time. Called
0: meet the manufacturer, then. Yeah, I think it was our second year, wasn't it? Twenty fifteen. Yeah. To,
1: to, to see, you know, to see the diversity of of, of the manufacturers. I mean, we saw a few customers. We saw, you know, weavers in the UK that have subsequently become our partners in making shirt materials or in in, in making outerwear fabrics, uh, in making socks. Um but we also saw the we saw some brands, we saw some of the high street retailers coming around and actually looking and and, and, and really engaging with what the possibility is of the UK. So I, I as a trial we had a couple of gins and we we, we, we we sat down and we said, okay, actually it's really incumbent to us to actually do this because if we don't look seriously at, at what we can do in this area. And it closes as a business. That will be a whole foundation of cotton spinning or short staple spinning that will be lost to the UK. And to set something up from scratch is multi-million pound business. And you need the skill sets. And we had the skill sets. So if we were going to lose them, who else is ever going to bring it back? So... I will say, Kate, it was probably one of the determining factors. Where, well, I know where we were. We, we were next to the Thames, where where the guys had just finished a drink and we shook hands and said, "Right, come on, let's do it then." And uh, and, and that was the start of English Van cons.
0: I oh, was it. What at the Thames outside the event then?
1: It, well, no, it was a bit later on in the evening. Oh, you evening, wandered down afternoon. after yeah, our I, official I, drinks. I, I, after uh, after a nice meal and a couple of more a, a couple of more uh, sherbets later, we, uh, we, we we said, "Are we going to do this then?" Yeah, fine, we're going to do that and, and shook hands. Uh, it wasn't called English Fine Cottons at the time, um, primarily because you know we were looking at something, you know, everybody knows Lancashire as the, as the place for um, for cotton spinning. Well, we're 15 yards from Lancashire, we're the wrong side of the River Tame. Well, they know Manchester as, as the centre of Cottonopolis, that's what Manchester was called. Well, we're seven miles outside Manchester. Not many people know Cheshire, so we can't be called Cheshire English fine fine cottons. So English fine cottons came about primarily because of the honesty. You know, we're based in England and we make fine cotton and uh, we want to always be representative of of what we're saying.
0: So that was 2015 and the plan then was to use Barbadian cotton. Yeah. But you don't now, do you? You've now used
1: yeah and and, and and we've learned a few things along the track at, at the time where we where we really said we we're going to do this. It was a perception or, or, or an offer to have approximately four hundred to five hundred tons of bayesian sea island cotton. The truth of the matter is that is that there's generally between five and ten tons of Bayesian sea island cotton grown each year um and that's not big enough or sustainable enough or high enough quality to actually have a sustainable spinning business. Um, but at that point, we'd actually engage with a number of the high street retailers. We'd engage with a lot of the manufacturing brands in the UK. And we'd engage with um, some of the people that were looking to to bring about new change and about the UK manufacturing. And everybody seemed to want this uh, foundation of raw material, as long as it did what what we said on the tin as long as it actually delivered what they were looking for which was a high quality product at a reasonable price on time and to the volume that they want it rather than having to buy too much or without having to air freight it or without we, we, without it being difficult to trade with. So we went out and said right, okay if we can't use Sea Island Cotton where is, is there a product that we can use? And, and, and we got to find a really terrible story, if I'm being honest, uh, about the cotton trade, that the cotton trade was murky. <laughs> you know, people tended to trade on, on buying product and then mixing it together. Or as one trader once phoned me up from Germany and said, you want to buy some cotton from there and then you want to cut it with another Like source. cocaine. Absolutely. <laughs> so and, you're
0: likening the cotton industry. Isn't that it, 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 dodgy?
1: That, far off. At that point, I honestly thought yeah. that he was using the terminology because English was his, his second language and, and he didn't know the connotations. After the third or fourth trader that had used the same terminology, I started to realise that this was exactly the case. And we started to dig a bit further. We started to actually started to realise that there was a lot of international issues where, where big retailers in America had realised that their Giza cotton towels, their Egyptian cotton towels, weren't Egyptian cotton. Couldn't be. Factually, there wasn't enough Egyptian cotton grown that year for it to be. So, somewhere along the supply chain, somebody had cheated.
0: Someone had cut it.
1: Somebody had cut it, yeah. <laughs> somebody, somebody had blended in a poor fibre.
0: So, where do you get your cotton from now?
1: So, as a part of that, We realized that we couldn't follow the crowd. We couldn't just buy from international traders. We couldn't buy from international houses that that, that went out and and sourced. We needed to go and source our own. Uh, We needed to have a relationship directly with the farm themselves, understand their working practices, understand their ethics, understand their morality, understand their sustainability, and more importantly, make sure that the product is of high quality as well. Um, So we were introduced quite quickly to the Supima family uh, of uh, of cotton lint. And Supima is the American trade name for the Pima cotton that's grown in America. Uh, And we were introduced to uh, probably their most reputable farm, a a farm called J.G. Boswell, based in California. Um, And we spent a really hard time of my life going to California and seeing the farm. Tough
0: life. (laughs) Um, God, I think Barbados would have been better.
1: And that was difficult as well. I'm, I'm not quite sure which was the hardest this business This was your trip research. Yeah, the research. Sense. There's nothing wrong with research. <laughs> you know, more research, the better. Uh, but we spent a lot of time with the farm, understanding what, how, how they work, understanding what their, their sustainability characteristic is. Understanding their argument because they 're not an organic farm for example. I was going
0: to ask you that, and I know that 's the question you get asked is why not organic why is English fine cotton's not using organic and,
1: cotton and the truthful fact is is because at the moment we haven 't found a farm that we can engage with that we can have a relationship with that, that actually ticks all the uh, boxes that we want because as soon as we find that farm that, that actually grows organic cotton. Uh, and that does it in an ethical, sustainable and moral way and that we're comfortable with, Uh, we will introduce organic cotton with inside our product mix. But at the present moment, we haven't been able to find that partner. But going back to J.G. Boswell, what we actually found is that whilst they weren't organic, the way that they utilised water, the way that they utilised pesticide and and the chemical was extremely sensitive to not only the environment, and because it's also regulated by the EPA in California, but also because they believe in the sustainability of the environment, they they want a cotton farm to continue for the next 200, 300 years, and they realise that, you know, they've only got one one farm and one field and, and one and one area to, to in which to grow cotton.
0: So you sourced your cotton, and then you bought your machines, which cost millions by the looks of things because yeah. they're pretty amazing.
1: So that was an interesting phase. We looked at uh, Chinese-manufactured machinery, we looked at Indian-manufactured machinery, as well as developing relationships with German-branded machinery uh, and Austrian-branded machinery. Because there was a a perception, once again, that the big brand owners of of Europe were going to be too expensive to return the investment. Uh, And in, in all honesty, what we've paid for the machinery is... I'm going to say probably 50% of what the original quote was. The original quote was so high that it just wasn't feasible to buy at that price. But actually what we did is we tested the Asian manufacturing machine and we actually found that the world of textile and yarn manufacture really is going in that direction. You know, There are more Indian spinning mills buying Indian equipment now than they're buying European. There are more Chinese spinning mills buying Chinese equipment than there are buying European. Uh, and they're at a very competitive price. And the good thing about that is, that being a competitive price, you can buy volume and you can buy the capacity. And, 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 and you can buy the efficiency that, that comes with that. And we realized that the new modern equipment was at least, I'm going to say, five times, if not close to ten times, more efficient than the equipment that we had that we were spinning here in the UK that was built in
0: the 1970s. So that's one of the reasons you can afford to do this, because it's more efficient.
1: Yeah, I I like to change the syntax a little bit on that, um, that we can afford to do that. Actually, without this efficiency, nobody could do that, because the labour cost would be too high. So it's an interesting connotation to say that, as English fine cottons that's spinning... Approaching 500 tonnes of yarn a year now uh, with with around about 45, 50 staff. Well, how many staff would that have been in 1970? Well, it would have been probably 200, 220 perhaps. Really?
0: So we were yeah. there on that one floor of the mill and there was, what, three people three there? Three people. Three very hot-looking people because it was 30 it's nice degrees. <laughs> it's like Barbados in there. There would have been 200 equivalent. Well, on that floor, they would
1: definitely have been in excess of 20. And and remembering, Kate, that we're now spending 24 hours, seven days a week. So you saw three people that's on one shift, and we've got three shifts a day, and we've got seven days uh, to run. So they've always got three people on the shift. Now, if you had 20 people on the shift, and then they were running that length of time—that's where you very, very quickly grow up to, you know, two hundred, two hundred people easily.
0: So you spun the cotton. You've got the machines. You've spun your cotton. Um, who, which customers is it going to so far? Who's who's showing the biggest interest <laughs> in bike? Because I know you obviously took a complete punt on this, didn't you? With your, you know, you knew that there was a feeling out there from coming to my event that people wanted to start making in the UK more. Um, how did you find the first customers for your yarn, and did this? Did, it, did it, the idea evolve? Because originally it was just going to be shirting weight and, yarn, and, wasn't it? And, and that's
1: actually an interesting story because as a part of our funding programme, uh, we were introduced to a, a government body that was run by Manchester um, uh, authority called the Textile Growth Programme. And as a part of the Textile Growth Programme, they were funding businesses that were investing um, to help sustain and reshore jobs and as a part of the textile growth program they had a panel of experts that were sat behind the scenes if you like looking at the business plans making sure that the business plans made sense and making sure that they actually meant something to the fund Um, we got to we get got to found out that there was a a representative of Burberry. There was a representative from m There was a representative for Johnsons of Elgin. There was a representative from um, the Carrington Workwear Group. There were representatives uh, for, from different industry bodies. So we understood that at that point that you know whilst we weren't trading directly with these individual companies, they were engaged in our plan because they were involved in actually making sure that the business plan made sense. So that was one avenue. Secondly, we also did a lot of research. You know, we, we didn't only come to your ex- exhibition and said, yeah, this is fantastic. This is, this is where we want to spend £4 million or £5 million <laughs> of our money. We went to um, a number of the manufacturers in the UK. We phoned a number of the manufacturers, particular, uh, particularly in the East Midlands, um, particularly in fully fashioned knitwear, particularly in socks, and particularly in, in the Leicester single jersey market, because cotton is synonymous with single jersey for T-shirts you know as a, as a good example and very very quickly we started to realize that you know there's there's at that point we knew of at least 35 to 40 and I believe now it's well over 100 knitting companies with inside Leicester that are all knitting single jersey we didn't quite know that they were all knitting polyesters and and viscoses but you know we, we understood that there was a hosiery requirement if you like within inside the UK We were talking to fully fashioned knitting companies that that were still buying 200, 300 tons of cotton into the UK every year. And as a part of that, we started to do our research to see how much knitted yarn was imported into the UK. And you can get that statistic from the National Statistics Authority. And what was that figure? Do you remember? And it was thousands, it was 20,000 tons of cotton. It was something unbelievably large.
0: And how much are you... How much do you hope? What's your plan? How much, how much are you doing? How much are you Well
1: we, we're prob- now? Well, we're probably about 500 tonnes uh, at the present moment in the right. accounts that, we, that we'd be looking at. So, so we'd still be very, very small a in company, a fraction. Yeah. And, and we did know of, and we still aren't trading with three of the largest cotton users in the UK today, primarily because the cotton yarn that we make isn't ideal for their application. They, they, there are a number of... Uh, fabric manufacturers that make heavier weight twills or even denims. And, and, and the yarn that we make is a bit too fine for those. There are a couple of um, manufacturers that make fine netting or voils or, or, or Arabian head shawls, for example, where they need a specific genus of cotton or it needs to be treated in a way which we can't do at the present moment. So there's still actually quite a big market to go out for, for, from where we're at the moment. But our business plan looked at two things. It looked at seventy-five percent of what we, what our capacity was going to be, was going to sell. If you like yarn, we were going to sell cotton yarn to cotton knitters and weavers or traders or users, and, and, and that would be predominantly based in the UK. And I've got to say that's been that that's been successful.
0: Are there any brands that are already <coughs> that people would? It would spring to mind that you're allowed to say that, yeah, because you're still at quite the early stages. How long have you been spinning for? Well, we've been
1: spinning since, since October 2016. So, we've been spinning a little over 18 months, if you like. Uh, and we're now, as I say, spinning 24-7, and they are going to those companies. Whilst we trade with partners, it's not, it's, it's not in my gift to be able to divulge uh, who we trade with. But shall we say, luxury manufacturers with inside the UK and high street retailers. If, if you think of the top four, we'll probably be trading with all, uh, with all four of those. Excellent. Um, but so you've got
0: your own brand as well, haven't you? So, the English Fine Cottons, you're strategic, strategically building up as your own brand.
1: That follows in line with the business plan, um, or at least 25% of the business plan that we originally anticipated. We realised very early on that cotton is a foundation to quite a lot of the fabrics and quite a lot of the garments. And we conceitedly put one of our strap lines down that said, re-est 2016. Well, we weren't re-establishing a business. English fine cottons didn't ever exist. We were conceitedly trying to say, we're here to re-establish an industry. Perhaps not bring it back to its heyday, but actually say to the... Uh, to the weavers and the knitters and the garment makers, listen, the UK's back. We, you know, you can get this raw material now from the UK because actually in the UK, you can get absolutely fantastic worsted yarns from Huddersfield and the surrounding area. You can get absolutely fantastic British woolen yarns from Scotland and, and, and Yorkshire. But actually, cotton, which is where... The Industrial where revolution, revolution started, started yeah. You know, we, we sat in Manchester being Cottonopolis. There, there wasn't a capability of, uh, of making... Cotton product from cotton sorts from the UK. Um, so the idea about that is to say, right, we're here. Now in the 1950s or 1960s, maybe even the 1970s, no doubt we'd have a team of bowler-hatted, beshuted gentlemen driving black rovers around the country and selling our wares. Well, that's not the case any longer. You know, we, we there are only a number of manufacturers. And a lot of the manufacturers in the UK are commissioned manufacturers they make, on behest of a client, either a high street retailer or a specific customer or whatever it happens to be. So how do you generate that demand? Because what you are showing, Kate, okay, and what, what is absolutely happening is that the consumer is demanding and starting to look at the label, starting to want a quality piece that's made locally and ethically yeah. and it's a part of the community. So what we decided to do is very early on is spend money on English fine cottons as a brand. Actually have values... Values that we believe that the consumer, that matters to the consumer, that absolutely matters to us about passion, about quality, about heritage, about provenance. So we started to say, okay, what does that mean? Well, it means a lot. So we'll bring a classic range of products available. So we can actually say to the smaller brands, to the, to the startup companies, for, for, for example, yes, you can buy from the UK. Because we can provide you with a small minimum order quantity. We can be your scale. We can be your helper to get you started. Uh, We can make that product and stock it here and you can buy it in smaller quantities from us. So we went out and started to partner with the knitters, started to partner with weavers, started to partner with dyers, started to partner with finishers. And, and now we're at the point 80 months further on that we've got a, a classic range of jersey fabrics a classic range of shirting materials a classic range of outerwear fabrics for raincoats and the like uh, a range of homeware fabrics for bed linen um, that brands can come to us and say okay, I'd like to buy that classic product and I'll take it away and I'll add my USP to it whether that's in print or design or whether that's in makeup or whether it happens to be
0: so anyone can come to you and buy a length of cotton jersey you're holding that in stock, in stock. are you
1: Yeah So it, it, everything from actual fact you can buy a gift for your husband of a shirt length of uh, of shirt fabric that's gift wrapped that you can take that length into a bespoke shirt tailor and have a made to measure shirt made with oh, it on my brick? husband. <laughs> <laughs> Keep that one in.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, brilliant. So you're, you, you've mentioned the weavers, the knitters. Um, I know at some point, obviously, in that as well, you've got um, dyers and finishers. Hmm. What was the most tricky bit of getting that whole supply chain? Because you basically did—you say "Made in England starts here." You basically did bring the cotton supply chain back together again because it, it was so fragmented and it was, you know, weavers here and dyers there. So you have been one of the driving forces that started bringing that together. How tricky was that? Where were where were the bottlenecks? Where were the issues? Uh,
1: uh, and I've, I've got to say some honesty about that is that. Even though it's fragmented, all these people do and still still did work with each other. They had to, you know. Hopefully, what we have done is we've brought some degree of um, belief that there's a future uh, and a degree of faith and trust that that that, that it's that, that it means something. And, and we have absolutely seen over the eighteen months a an improvement in quality, shall we say, uh, a capability that's improved. Uh, whether that's because the uh, dyers or the knitters or the finishers have reinvested in equipment or in processes or whatever it happens to be, or, or the fact that we're putting some volume through through uh, the factories is that the capability of the UK supply line has definitely improved uh, over that period of time. I have got to say it's not been without its uh, its failings. You know, we, we, we've we've spent an awful lot of time and an awful lot of money developing fabrics that aren't quite to our brand standard. Maybe that they've been. Uh, manufactured and the stability we just can't get it right or we couldn't get it right using a specific partner or a specific finishing route and we've had to search around to find uh, capable people and people that are willing to work at it and relearn the skills and, and relearn the, the art if you like of making high quality product um, and and that obviously has its own cost implications it has its own challenges but we're now very proud of, uh, of the product that we have on the shelf that, 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 that's capable. And, and, it, and it's open and available to any UK manufacturer to, to go and buy one metre.
0: And can they use the English Fine Cottons logo and brand? If they do, like
1: well, it would be with Lycra, for instance, by DuPont. Well, that, 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 that's an interesting um, question. Primarily because is that with English Fine Cottons, as I said, we invested everything into that not only financially, we invested our passion, we invested our values. That value is what we want to give to the consumer. So if it's got an English Fine Cottons product, it's honest, it's transparent. We can absolutely show any consumer that product and trace it back into the field it was grown.
0: That's brilliant. We we can
1: show that. Now, if we give that brand to a third-party manufacturer, we, the level of control that we need to show with that is very difficult because obviously we don't we're not running their business we 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 have to make sure that uh, we understand the control of our brand. Uh, let me give you an example in in one of the earlier stages, uh, we were working with a a, a specific knitting business um, uh, because we wanted to make sure that we developed a certain product and and looking through LinkedIn, um, I saw a picture of another knitting company uh, that we absolutely hadn't traded with. And in the background of a picture on on LinkedIn was an English fan, Cotton's Box. So all of a sudden it's, hmm, how did that box get there? How do we we know that's right? And subsequent investigations and conversations, we got to find out that, that the knitting partner that we were looking at at that stage had actually subcontracted the work. Now, we didn't know whether that subcontracting manufacturing was the right thing. So actually to put a brand on that and to assure that it's not to our brand standard. So unfortunately, we, we, we're having to use uh, other, other partners, which are 100% transparent and follow our brand standards. So we can assure our, our customer and our client that when they buy it with an English Fine Cartons product, it will last, it's high quality and it will have value and it will have our values uh, attached to it.
0: You've obviously spent a fortune where you've mentioned millions. How many years before you get a return on investment on all this?
1: Well, we've spent well in excess of £6.8 million um, uh, on the launch of English Fine Cottons and the development of Kilometre Safeguard as a business. Some of that money is about the redevelopment of Tower Mill, a Grade 2 listed building.
0: Yeah, you feel like the actual just restoration of the building must have cost you
1: it's, a fair penny. It, 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 everything from the taps to the windows to the paint on the walls to the power to the electricity, everything seems to be a never-ending, uh, never-ending story of cost. However... We're doing that for, for a reason. We're
0: doing that because we believe in, in, in the future. Question there, though. You, 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 know, you mentioned the cost of restoring the listed building to put the mill in. Why not just build an aircraft hangar on an industrial yeah. piece of wasteland rather than restore an original cotton mill?
1: And, 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 and there's two stories to that. Uh, the first story is we're based um, five miles outside the centre of Manchester, one mile outside the Manchester motorway ring room. So to actually buy a crinkly tin shed, if you like, in this vicinity is a, a, a phenomenal amount of money. Uh, to, to be able to, to get a 130,000 square feet, which is the, the, the uh, square footage that we've got with inside Tower Mill, would cost 10, 15 million pounds in the building alone to, to do that. So renovating a mill makes financial sense, actually. Um, secondly is the colour Safeguard the mill that Kilometre Safeguard belong in, and the staff and the community that we're a part of is 25 metres away. You know, the management team is one management team, the supervisory team is one supervisory team, the skill sets is one skill set. So the community that we're at and and the capability and the flexibility that we've got is actually measurable in terms of the the, the value that, that that adds. Um,
0: I think there's a third reason there, though, because you've got the photographs of the mill and it's very iconic. It's all part of your story, isn't it? It wouldn't be the same story if you hadn't restored this mill and used your iconic tower mill um, pictures, which have been... I mean, I seem to have seen them all over social media. It's, it, ma- it continues the telling of the English fine cotton story, doesn't it, and bringing cotton spinning back to and, the greater Manchester area. And,
1: and, and, of course, there is a heritage and, and a providence piece about that. It, it, it does matter that the mill was built in 1870s and spun cotton until 1953, and, and, and we've brought that back. And it, and it means something to, to people that were a part of the industry. But truthfully, that's an added value. That's something else that that the customer and uh, and we can be proud of, that we're bringing back that heritage, of course. But that's not the reason to to run a viable, sustainable business. Running a viable, sustainable business requires skilled staff, capable staff in a productive environment that allows you to make profit because that's what we're here to do. Now, doing that in a crinkly tin shed would probably be slightly more profitable if the shed was for free, but it isn't. It's Mm. it's far more expensive to actually build um, in this location and we need to be in this location because the key to it is the staff that we've got. So it's a good amalgamation of the community, the capable staff, and a mill that gives us 130,000 square feet right next door to our other factory. Those are the business reasons, the added values of the fact that we've got a fantastic mill, we can show heritage, we have regular open days where we're showing, if you like, the old to the new. This, you know, a lot of people used to do um, spinning when they were in the 60s or, or, or even in the 50s in some circumstances, and we're taking them right up to the modern day to show them the modern equipment. We've, got, we've had well in excess of 1,000 people around our open days, and that, that degree of openness to the community does add value.
0: I did, everything you're sort of saying here, it, it all does come back to storytelling and heritage and sort of being really transparent about what you do. Um, what are the plans? What's the next chapter of the story, Andy? Well,
1: so some of the products that we've developed um, of late have got a resonance with inside the consumer. There's a number of people that are actually looking for a... A product that they can put their finger on that they know exactly where it's come from and i mean exactly where it's come from through its whole life they know where it was grown who spun it the name of the person that sold it and they want to have that value and what we're going to do with that is that we're going to bring them that product under an english fine cottons brand that doesn't step on any of our partner's toes doesn't doesn't recreate what our partners and, and uh, customers and, and suppliers and, and, and subcontractors do, but it adds a value to that. So we can, we can customise a product specifically to one individual. So whether that actually happens to be English Fine Cotton's socks or whether that be English Fine cotton shirts that are manufactured 100% in the UK... So the cotton's spun in the UK, it's woven in Burnley, it's finished in Rochdale, it's put together and made into a fantastic bespoke uh, shirt in the UK. Even the buttons are manufactured in the UK. Everything about it is UK. Um, And perhaps they don't have the budget to um, have that bespoke manufactured and tailored to themselves. They just want an an off-the-peg so they can buy that product from ourselves. Because we'll work in partnership with all of our partners, and we'll stock it, and they'll be able to buy that through, through our website and through our um, mill shop. And we in, we intend to not not just stop at shirts; perhaps move into other avenues where our where our current partners are, uh, aren't residing at the present moment.
0: So, where can everyone, where can anyone find this at the moment, or is it not available yet? They want to buy any of your products or anything with English Fine Cottons yarn in?
1: Well, English Fine Cottons shirts, made-to-measure shirts, have been available now for the last 12 months on the Marks & Spencer made-to-measure website. Uh, If you log on to Marks & Spencer into menswear and look for made-to-measure, you'll be able to have a pull-down menu that says that these fabrics are manufactured by English Fine Cottons, and that's been available for the last 12 months. Um, there's a number of other uh, areas where English Fan Cotton product can be purchased. There's, in particular, T-shirts. There's a, a number of T-shirt brands that are quite open about that they've got a UK source, that it's spun in the UK. It, it tends to be knitted in the Leicester region and then finished and, and made up in either Leicester or Blackburn or whatever. And, and there's quite a number of those. Uh, we've got quite a few uh, T-shirt partners in the marketplace. Um, So if you look for that product, one of of the good places to look is actually our website because we're proud of our partners. So regularly we'll put on our blog that one partner or another has launched a new product and and perhaps we do a video of their manufacturing process and perhaps we do a video of them making that product together. And as a part of that package, once new products come on stream, whether that's directly from ourselves or whether it's through one of our partners, that will be announced in the website.
0: Right. Well, I'll put the link to the website in the show notes for the podcast. One final question is export. How You've mentioned supplying local people um, or local businesses, local manufacturers, local partners. How much of your yarn are you exporting? I know you export a lot of the kilometer Safeguard
1: As far yarn. as the kilometer Safeguard technical textiles business, uh, before English Fine Cottons came about – either directly or through one of our UK customers, 98% of what we did was exported and and quite a a substantial proportion of that was actually exported to Asia. Um, So, we're not scared of export. We we probably export, I think, to about 35 countries the the, the last time that we looked at it. In terms of English fine cottons, I've got to say that our focus is UK. Is it really? Um, Okay whilst we're not turning people down and we're not turning people away and we have sold yarn into Germany and we have sold yarn into Italy and and we have sold shirting fabrics into Singapore for example really we are Made in Britain starts here yeah. we, 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 we believe in the crusade about bringing it home we believe in the uniqueness of UK manufacturing we believe in the quality of the UK manufacturing routes we believe that the consumer's looking for that so I don't, turn a, I don't turn the sale away if we, if we think that, 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 it's, that it's right for the business. But 90% of what we do from English fine cartons is, is, is really looking for a source in the UK.
0: You are a properly, truly British business
1: then, aren't you? We believe so. Um, we're certainly based in Manchester, that's
0: for a start. <laughs> it took me six and a half hours to get here. <laughs> Thank you very much for today, Andy. Thank you for the tour of the mill. I'm going to put some photographs on the website, there's a link to the show notes for this podcast so people can see um, your meal. It's amazing. Um, and you do, you do open days, did you say? If people want to come and have a look around, when can, yeah, can the, anyone
1: come? Uh, and, and the open days are open to the public, and we'll probably do round about four or five of those through the year. But any industry specialist is that we, we, we do more open days for industries. So whether that be universities with textile degree students, we, uh, we, we invite them around to show them the actually how people spin and, yeah. and, and what spinning processes are or anybody that's involved with the industry we're more than happy to to show them around and show them the transparency and the openness and what actually is possible in the uk
0: yeah because i've been working in fashion textiles for probably many <laughs> years um and first time i've been in a cotton spinning mill amazing
1: you need to come more often
0: i'm definitely going to come back again thank you very much thanks Thank you for listening to this episode of the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday and Friday, plus there are bonus episodes occasionally. So make sure you subscribe in your favourite podcast app. And if you're looking to find British made brands or UK manufacturers, check out the directory on the Make It British website, which you can find at makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash directory. Thank you for listening. Bye bye.